Okay. Beginning again. This is a an experiment. Let's say that uh, I'm recording here on Anchor. That's why you see maybe you can see my laptop set up on my on our suitcase. And it sounds like someone just walked in the door in the other room, so there might be some background noise. Anyway, uh, this is being shared on my podcast, Unspeakable Bliss, as well as live right now on YouTube. So, as the title suggests, today I'm going to be sharing about sinking the mind into the ocean of the heart. That's actually a quote by this guy here, Ramana Maharshi, this gentleman, the saint. And also with that, I'm wanting to share about the paradox of freedom. So bear with me, please, with the different technical uh, nuances that we have. going on right now and you can uh, the invitation is to experience this contemplatively meditatively uh, and I invite you actively to not just believe anything that I have to say and forgive me if I speak in such a way where uh where it sounds as though I am attempting to claim that what I know to be true for me is also true for you. And I'm going to contradict myself by the nature of some of the things that I'm going to say. Uh, I'm doing my best to speak from experience and I'm very open to any feedback from you in the comments or if there's a comment section to the podcast, uh, any comments as to how I can think more clearly and be more connected to the truth because that's what this uh, share by and large is about. And the reason why the podcast title is Unspeakable Bliss This is just the second episode. I I recorded an episode something like four or five months ago. And this is is the second episode there. And this is, I've made many YouTube videos, but the idea, one of the reasons why I'm sharing in this way, I share a lot on uh, Instagram and Facebook. The idea is to have a library of all my content for you to listen to, to be able to refer back to. And it just doesn't disappear. The shelf life of an Instagram or a Facebook post as far as uh, it actually reaching someone is increasingly less and less time as in it it just kind of gets lost in the sea of other posts. So that's one of the reasons why I'm doing it this way. Anyhow, uh, the name Unspeakable Bliss Actually, the first podcast, if you go to the first podcast, I share the story as to why I named it that. But that's actually a good place to begin uh, today's 
episode today share. So make yourself comfortable if you're not already. Grab your favorite beverage. I got a big cup of ayahuasca here. Just kidding. Not ayahuasca. This is a beer. I'm drinking a beer. Mm. Yeah, so I'm just really going to be sharing. I don't have a particular order of, of like topics or things that I want to cover, but there are a few points and it's really going to be just extemporaneous. So let us begin with a So this gentleman, Ramana Maharshi, he didn't speak a lot. Although there's a large book of things that he said that people that hung out with him recorded. One of the reasons he didn't speak was he, silence was, according to him, silence was uh, the biggest teacher of being in the silence itself. And... I'm going to share why it's called unspeakable bliss. Uh, And I want to relate that with a story, a story about a monk, actually. See, the thing about spirituality, what I've come to find about spirituality, even more generally meditation, which is for sure related to spirituality, coaching, self-development, is that sometimes I can be way too serious. And you would think for good reason too, or I would think for good reason because I'm talking about very serious stuff, ending suffering for myself and all beings. This is the vow. If you know the vow of a bodhisattva, it is to come back for as long as it takes until all beings are free and liberated of suffering. Now, how does all that tie into unspeakable bliss in this story? The, the, in the paradox of freedom, the thing is, is anything I say today right now that I share is not going to be true. It's not going to be the truth. And the reason for that is because I guess the best example I could give is like a a finger pointing at the moon. Is the finger pointing at the moon, the moon? No, it's a symbol. It's a representation pointing towards truth, love, beauty, the divine. 
And so that's why I say um, this is totally hopeless. I'm, I'm, if anything, just pointing towards that which you know, or this is the attempt here, pointing towards that which you know to be true inside of your own heart because there's recognition, there's remembrance, there is maybe even realizing, I like recognition or remembrance because to me that really speaks to something already being within. Anyhow, these things can get very, very serious. So it's my attempt to keep it lighthearted, but also uh, genuine at the same time and not to get too far into the serious. However, there's a time, you know, there's a time and a place when we're talking about death and suffering and, and being hard on oneself and all of these things. Anyhow, the middle path, I guess, is what I'm attempting to say. And so uh, this is actually a joke. <laughs> from this book called, I think it's called Awakening, actually. Awake, it's called Awake, it's your turn. By this, interestingly, the, the author is a great, incredible book, incredible book, Dr. Angelo DeLulu, DeLulo. And he's a, ironically, an anesthesiologist. So he's a sleep doctor who wrote a book on awakening. It's a wonderful paradox. And that's where I got this. And he got this from someone else told this to him. And the paradox, uh, the uh, story is uh, there's this monk and there's a new monk in the monastery. And the new monk asks the head of the abbey, the head of the monastery, hey, do you think we should go and check downstairs, down underneath the monasteries where the original text is? The new monk says, do you think we should go check the text to see that if what we're reciting and practicing up here on all these copies is actually accurate to what the original text said. Because who knows, we could be making a mistake. We could be just perpetually making mistakes because we haven't actually looked at the original text. These are just copies of the original. <laughs> and uh, the head monk is a bit resistant at first, but finally says, well, I guess it couldn't hurt. We've been practicing for so long. It couldn't hurt to make sure that we're doing the practicing in the right way. So the head goes down the steps, down into the vault beneath the monastery, and he doesn't come up for two or three days. All the other monks upstairs, they're wondering, like, what's going on? What, did we get something wrong? Why, why has he been down there so long? And so one of the other monks comes to check on him, he goes down the steps and he sees the, the head of the monk and he's crying over the tablet. There's this the big stone tablet and he's crying over it. And the monk asks him, he said, Master, did did we get it? Did we get anything wrong? And the head of the monastery says, We only got one thing wrong. Just one thing. It said, celebrate, not celibate. Thank you. Uh, my lovely divine mother goddess is checking to make sure that the live stream is go, still going for me because I don't, I don't know if uh, I had enough memory on my phone. Anyhow, 
that that was the the only mistake that was made is that it said celebrate instead of celibate and i share that in light of sinking the mind into the heart and the paradox of freedom because this whole thing with the the spiritual path spirituality is that it is one giant hopeless paradox. I'm an individual. I'm unique. There's no one else in the world like me. I'm one of a kind. And at the same time, I'm all one with everything. I mean, that's the one of the big spiritual teachings is that you're you are there's no separation is merely illusory. So somehow I'm simultaneously unique and at the same time, one with everything. And a guy like Ramana Maharshi above, or I would even say Jesus or Buddha, they say, you are that as in, and this is, this is, this is why one of the reasons why I see the immense humor in the hopelessness of the situation and why I'm attracted to a lot of the non-duality, the Advaita Vedanta teachings, which is you are that. <laughs> it's not saying one day when you practice enough, then you'll be released from suffering. Then you'll be liberated when you meditate enough. No, what, what's being said, what's being shared by these, these masters who actually this, he didn't actually practice very much at 17 years old. He had a near death experience. And this is actually exactly how it happened for Ramana. He had a near death experience where he laid down, he thought he was going to die. And he said, well, wait a minute. If I am, if I'm aware and my body's right here, then what, what is it that's dead? Basically he had an out of, I don't even know if I could say out of body experience, but an experience of being everything and everyone. He had, he had the direct experience of not being exclusively identified with just his mind and his body. And that led him that experience that apparently stabilized over a long amount of time. I mean, this, this man, apparently from stories I've heard of him, people would come and have to feed him and, and prop him up and stuff. Cause he would be bugs would be eating his flesh while he's alive. I mean, <laughs> That's, that's true disidentification from being the mind and body exclusively because he's just in bliss all the time because he is not identified with just being his mind and body. Anyhow, what he's saying and what Buddha is saying, and I believe my uh, study of the, the non-dogmatic or as non-dogmatic as this can be, teachings of Jesus, the, of Christ consciousness and, and Buddha nature, they're saying what they're saying is we are already that so anything i do 
any practice I have, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've sat down to meditate just like this, thinking that might be the root of the problem, thinking that I'm going to get somewhere, thinking that I'm going to, this is how clever and tricky the mind is. And I do speak from many hours of meditation, plant medicine journeys, heroic doses with mushrooms. And, and to me, this is as far as I have seen, and I'm, I'm still investigating it, but I don't think I can do anything about it. That's the paradoxical part, the paradoxical part. I've had so many exper experiences of nothing happening. I want to uh, attempt to unfold that or uh, pick that apart as much as I can because of the most intense experience I've ever had is when nothing has happened to me. And I, I understand that that may sound so... If I was hearing myself say this five, six, seven, eight years ago, I'd be like, what is this guy talking about? So who it resonates with, it resonates with. And, and if it doesn't, then it doesn't. I'm, I'm, I have enough self-awareness to break that apart, hopefully in a way that makes sense. The mind, it's good for one thing. I, I, okay, I shouldn't say that. It's, it's good. It's good for many things, actually. Actually, it's probably good for all things. But one thing it's exceptionally good at is survival. So my mind is very good at keeping me aware of my edges. Let's say that, so that when I drink water, this is the illusion of separation. This is an illusion, but it's a useful illusion insofar as the survival of me as an organism is so when i drink water check it out in a way i'm glad i'm grateful that i am separate from the phone and and in a way not like ramana where bugs are eating his flesh as he's alive and and laying there in a cave that's what he did he went off to a cave and sat there for a while for the rest of his life actually anyhow i'm really grateful that I appear separate because the water is going in my mouth. I'm not pouring it on the floor. I'm not, it's useful, right? It's, it's, I would say it's definitely useful. My mind's function is useful insofar as it helps me to survive. I, I have a joke with one of my friends. I said, we're all, uh, we're all one until you're roadkill. <laughs> you know, if you walk across the street and get by, get hit by a car, it's not going to be very pleasant. Probably there's going to be a lot of pain and probably a lot of suffering for yourself and your family. Anyhow, I got a little bit off on a tangent, but let's see if I can reel it back in. The nothing experience. So the mind uh, it's my theory and my experience that the mind it's it's really really loves time like time in the mind maybe not loves but it, it is intimately related to the mind 
because I can say where I was, what I did, who I am, what my accomplishments are, where I'm going, what I'm going to do tomorrow when I have a meeting with somebody so they know to meet there at 2 p.m. And the mind wants to have this experience of enlightenment, of freedom, of attaining liberation, but it's not an experience for the mind. And what I think Ramana might say, or Buddha, or Jesus, or an enlightened sage might say, is that that is a totally The, the truth, and again, I'm, it's not going to be the truth because I'm putting it into words and therefore capital T truth, that whole conversation, I think you get the point from what I referred to earlier. The truth is you are already free. I am already free. But our minds, it wants, it wants uh, a thing to do, a thing to latch onto. Give me this process. Let me sit here, focus on my breath. Let me eat a bunch of mushrooms. Let me go on a darkness retreat. But the, the truth of what these sages are saying, what they've already done and shared and said is that we're already free. So can you imagine? You don't even need to imagine because it's already the case. The possibility of the recognition of knowing that you already are totally, absolutely, 100% liberated, free, but not you. Here's the thing. Not you exclusively. This is where some people make the mistake. Oh my God, I'm Buddha. I'm Jesus. And everyone else is they're still waking up. It's not how it works. As far as I know, as far as I've seen and experienced, if you are awake, everyone is awake. And th again, this is the paradox because I don't know, I do not know about you. And I don't really even know about myself. This, this, maybe we'll get into the wisdom of not knowing. I want to wrap this up in the next 10 minutes or so. Here's the paradox in, in the world that I live in, which is a shared, the experience that I have is that I do live in a shared reality where there are other minds and there is only one consciousness. And in this singular consciousness, that is our consciousness, our awareness, there's some shit in this world that's happening. Sometimes I'm not directly exposed to it, but I'm made aware of it through technology and sometimes i am directly exposed to it someone on the street as i walk by and there it, it appears that it's someone that's hungry and and asking for for food or money and i have compassion because i'm like oh man how is this happening 
How are their, how is their war? I haven't seen war. That doesn't mean it's not happening. I've seen violence. And that's, that's the paradox. It's like, wait a minute. I'm already free. Apparently this is heaven on earth. I'm already liberated. And, and, and if I am, and if what these people are saying is true, then we all already are that. You're that. You, you in a sense, I am a, a, a dream in your mind, and you are, uh, yes, I'm a, I'm a dream character in your mind, and you are a dream character in my mind. And if someone, this is not solipsism, where every, there's only one mind, I'm not saying there's only one mind, there's only one consciousness, one awareness, one of that which is aware. Anyhow, I'm going to shamelessly give a plug here. Uh, I have a, an unprogram called Living Truth, and this is what we're exploring, which is critical thinking, questioning our own assumptions, being in the not knowing state. So I, I will talk a little bit here about the wisdom of not knowing. When, when I say I'm confused or I don't know, there's a possibility for learning. There's a possibility for discovery. There's a possibility to experience something novel, to be curious about life versus thinking I already know the way it is. Zodka, that's my partner. Uh, earlier today, I was recounting how she reminds me that our only problem is that we think we know each other. When we think we know, then it's kind of like game over, right? Because then if I think I really know, then maybe I'm only going to see that possibility manifest in my worldview. Uh, anyhow, so it's, it's basically combining sense-making, making sense of the world, making sense of ourself, making sense of our relationships uh, with the non-dual understanding. And that which is, we appear separate. There appears to be separation, separate people, but it's all one. And, and, and that's verifiable. This is to me, one of the best parts, verifiable by our direct experience. Now, am I claiming to be enlightened? Am I a claim, a, a claiming to be uh, a sage like Ramana Maharshi or the, the risen Christ or the Buddha? Uh, no, no, yes, and I don't know. Um, Here's what I can say. From a young age, some of us, maybe you, certainly me, are raised in a society and due to the society, the culture, and maybe even our biology, the survival biology. We are convinced that we are separate. We are fed thought after thought after thought after thought until the ego develops and then we're separate. And we're living in a world of me and others and it's survival game. And then further, not only are there thoughts of separation, but there are feelings. Somehow, I don't understand this exactly, but somehow these thoughts of separation get stored in our body as feelings 
And then, you know, I, I could say, no, 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 I feel separate. I'm over here. Everything else is other than me. I'm over here and it's me. And you can see in my body language, and this is true for some people, which is it's hard to say no and keep our heart open. It's hard to honor who and what we are. And imagine that, keeping your heart open and saying no. Anyhow, I had a good discussion with my friend the other day. And I'm going to wrap, wrap up on this end because we're approaching about a half an hour here. And I've really just been talking the whole time. <laughs> I guess that's what a podcast is for, right? My good friend, Andrew Baird, we did a, we led a mushroom retreat together, a sacred mushroom retreat. He, myself, Slavka, and his partner, Jessica, a few months ago. And I just met with him. He's our neighbor here in, in uh, Costa Rica. And he gave a really, really beautiful description, uh, which is, this is the work that we're going to be doing in living truth. And I, I mean, I, my, my unprogram, by the way, it's called an unprogram because it's undoing, unteaching, unlearning these thoughts and feelings of being separate and keeping our heart open and making sense of the world in tall order. Um, This is what he said. We were comparing uh, the teachings of A Course in Miracles, Christ Consciousness stuff to the Advaita Vedanta non-duality stuff, of which he's more versed in, I, I think he's more versed in the Christ Consciousness stuff, and I'm maybe more versed in the non-duality stuff. And he said, until we, he said, right 